Welcome to another episode of the Exploring Art Progress podcast, a Florida International University student podcast for the creative curious. I am your host, Flavi August, and I'm delighted to have Kaya Knight and Alex Hernandez. Welcome to the Exploring Art podcast. We are going to be talking about Jackson Pollock, a 20th century abstract expressionist. Known for some of his famous works, such as Number One, Lavender Mist, Mural, and Full Fathom Five. His work became famous uh, for his method of painting, where he would throw paint onto his canvas and paint from all angles. His rise to fame began in the 1940s when his analyst, Dr. Joseph Hansen, saw for when Jackson Pollock gave analyst Joseph Hansen 43 of his drawings to which Henderson replied, what am I looking at exactly? According to William Zimmer for the New York Times paper, obviously it went well because here he is now as a renowned artist. True that, true that. I mean, even his, uh, his paintings, I mean, it was more about the, the methodology behind the paintings, but uh, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you. Well, before we continue our discussion on the controversy surrounding Jackson Pollock's drawings, let's take a moment to learn more about the key figures involved in this story. Alex, could you tell us more about who Jackson Pollock was and his life and work? Yeah, no, of course, Flavia. Um, so Jackson Pollock was an American painter, a renowned American painter, who is considered one of the most important figures in the abstract expressionist movement. Uh, he was actually born in Wyoming uh, in 1912, and he began his artistic career, you could say, around the 1930s. Uh, he began working for the Federal Art Project uh, of the Works Progress, uh, Progress Administration, as stated by Major K. Helfand, a writer for the Federal Art Project. Pollock, uh, he was best known for his drip paintings, you know, where, where he just splattered paintings on the canvases, uh, where he began creating, he began creating these in the late 1940s, give or take. Uh, these paintings were created by dripping or, or pouring paint, splatting paint um, and on a canvas and creating abstract and highly expressive compositions within his paintings. Pollock's work was highly influential in the development of the abstract expressionism movement. Uh, which was characterized by its emphasis on the spontaneous and the emotional creation of art, N not so much the art itself, but the the creation of the art, the the materials and the the methodology that was used to create it. Thank you very much, Alex, for your insightful insight. Now let's talk about Dr. Henderson. Kaya, could you give us some background information on who made the man that is Jackson Pollock? Sure, Flavi. Dr. J. Henderson was a psychoanalyst who treated Jackson Pollock in the late 1930s and early 1940s. As we mentioned earlier, Pollock gave Henderson a series of 43 drawings as a means of expressing himself during his therapy sessions. Not much is known about Dr. Henderson's personal life or his works beyond his relationship with Pollock, but his decision to sell the drawing has sparked controversy and debate within the art world. 
Thank you so much, Kaya. Now, let's turn over our attention to Lee Krasner, Jackson Pollock's late wife. Alex, can you tell us more about her life and work? Yes, yeah, certainly, yeah. of course. Um, so Lee, Lee Krasner, uh, his wife, she was an American painter who was married um, to Jackson, uh, Mr. Pollock, from the 1945 until his death in uh, 1956. Krasner was actually a very important figure in the abstract expression and movement as well. Um, and she was largely known for her large scale abstract paintings, too. Um, you know, Krasner's work was characterized by her use of color and line, um, as well as her interest in mythology and, you know, and other stuff like the natural world. She was also a very prominent advocate for women in the arts and, and helped to pave the way for the future generations to come of all these female artists. Thank you very much for that introduction. But I think it's time that we dive right in. Jackson Pollock's widow, Lee Krasner, objected to the public exhibitions of the drawings that he gave to his analyst, Dr. J. Hen Henderson, in 1939. Uh, she believes that these works are private, something between artists and analysts, and not something to be shared with the world. Mm -hmm. Do you, Alex, think that her wishes should have been respected? Well, when it comes to whether these um these works should be shared with the you know public the, you know the public world, as an art historian, I I really believe that it's important to respect and honor the artist's intentions, uh, especially the wishes of those close to them. And in this case, his wife, uh, you know, Miss Krasner was Pollock's, um, you know, very close partner, and she would have known him very intimately. So if she felt that he didn't want his drawings and, and all his works to be, you know, the one that he gave to the analyst publicly exhibited, then I believe that her wishes as his wife should be respected. Thank you very much for your opinion. Now, Kaya, um, I know you have some, you know, legal background as a litigator. So I would like to know your opinion on this stance here. Yes, Flavi. And as in my opinion, as a lawyer, I would argue that the ownership of the drawings is solely what matters here. If Lee Krasner did not own the drawings, then she had no right to prevent their exhibition. The drawings were sold to a San Francisco art gallery in 1959, and the gallery should have the right to exhibit them. Okay. That is an interesting perspective. Thank you very much. These Thank are two you. interesting stances, and we are going to elaborate on them further. Kaya, do you think it would have been appropriate to exhibit the drawings despite Lee Krasner's uh, objections to her death. I know that you said this before that you think that it should not have been, but are there any additions that you would like to make um, to the statement that you already made? Um, Legally speaking, it would have been all right to exhibit the drawings if they were sold to a gallery. However, morally speaking, it would have been respectful to consider her wishes, especially if she believed that Pollock would not have wanted them to be publicly displayed. No, yeah. I mean, I kind of agree with that, too. I, I do believe that, um, you know, ethically and morally speaking, it, you know, if um, Pollock didn't want his drawings to be publicly displayed, then his, you know, wills and, and uh, you know, his wants, his wishes should be respected. But that there also is a legal aspect to this controversy. 
you know, but as an art historian, I still do believe that we should consider at least the context in which the drawings were created, right? So these drawings were part of Pollock's therapy. And, you know, as, as part of therapy, they were never really intended to be seen as art. They were just intended to be shared in between him and his analyst and, you know, his therapy. Exhibiting them as art would be of, of, of a, a disservice to the purpose that they served in Pollock's life. That's a very interesting point, Alex. However, the fact that these drawings were created as a part of Pollock's therapy does not necessarily preclude them from being considered art. The lines between art and therapy can be blurry at times, and I would argue that these drawings have valuable are valuable both as art and historical artifacts. Mm -hmm. All right, all right. Now we have some conversation going. I like what I'm hearing here. I have another question for you, though, Kaya. Do you think that the analyst, Dr. J. Henderson, was justified in selling the drawings in the first place, or should he have kept them and destroyed them at his own death? I know that we started talking about this um, uh, previously, but I wanted to know if there's any more elaboration um, given uh, Dr. Henderson's uh, background and what we know um about um analysts um sure flavi in the psychoanalysts are trying to help people understand and work through their emotions and behavioral patterns they use techniques such as free association dream analysts and interpretation to help patients gain insight into their unconscious thoughts and feelings in the case of Jackson Pollock, it's likely that Dr. Henderson used some of these techniques to help Pollock express himself and work through his emotions. Okay, okay. So um, I'm just going to cut right to the chase here. Just a yes or no question. Do you think he should have? Huh. Yes. Hmm. Okay, okay. Thank you. Now... Let's uh, take a look at the historical context around this controversy. Uh, what was going on in the world between 1939 to 1940 and up until 1959. Um, my prior knowledge is that during this time, America was going through a great um, climb. We were uh, pulling ourselves out of the trenches that was World War II and the Great Depression. So um, is there anything else that you can give me about this, Alex? Yeah, like you said, in 1939 and 1940, the world was on the brink of World War II, and this was a time of great, you know, political and social upheaval. Um, you know, many artists in this time were grappling with the changing world around them, creating art in different formats and and trying their best way to express themselves. Um, it, you know, 1959, the world was still recovering from the aftermath of uh, World War II. And then the Cold War was in full swing at this point. The United States was in the midst of a cultural revolution that could shape the course of art history for years to come. So there was there was a lot of turmoil and a lot of, um, you know, uh, changes happening within society and the culture. All right, Alex, thank you very much for educating me there. I actually, you know, misspoke. I didn't realize we were on the brink. Thank you very much for clarifying that for me. Um, now, Kaya, would you like to talk to us about 
how therapy and psychology were viewed during these time periods. I know uh, this was, um, you know, about 50 to 70 years ago. And I do know that therapy was seen as something much more taboo and shamed upon at the time. But is there any other information you can enlighten us on? For sure. Yeah. Um, in the late 1930s and the early 1940s, psychoanalysts was still a relatively new field, but it was gaining popularity as a form of therapy. However, there was a, there was still a fair amount of skepticism and controversy surrounding the field, and many viewed it as pseudoscience. By the late 1950s, psychoanalysts had become more mainstream, and many people saw it as a legit form of therapy. However, there were some still some critics who argued that it was ineffective and overly focused on the past. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much, Kaya. Um, now I kind of would like to uh, go on a tangent here um, and speak about some of the issues that may have caused um, Jackson Pollock to seek therapy, mm -hmm. uh, more specifically his addictions and what he was struggling with. Yeah. Um, now, Alex, as a art historian, uh, could you tell us more about this aspect of his life that he um, struggled with and put a lot of upheaval on him? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, addictions and uh, even trauma, some would say, actually do have a pretty, uh, you know, interesting impact or um, uh, a deep impact into artists' life. It, it could, you know, very greatly change the way that they create art. And in fact, Jackson Pollock struggled with alcoholism, right? That was his addiction. He struggled with alcoholism through his whole life. And, you know, this addiction had a very significant impact on his work and his personal life. Some would even say this might um, be one of the reasons why he even went to therapy. Uh, Pollock's alcoholism uh, became pretty severe in the years leading up to his death, and it's more, you know, most likely it's believed that it played a pretty big role in the deteriorate, uh, the, the, the deterioration, sorry, uh, of his marriage with uh, his wife, Lee Krasner. But however, despite all his struggles with alcoholism and his, you know, his addictions, Pollock still continue to create groundbreaking work. I mean, his 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 art still has influence on, you know, the art world currently. And, and you cannot, you know, overstate how much of an impact his work still has to the day. Um, whether or not is it a good thing that his addictions led to him creating and going to therapy and, and you know, the upheaval that happened, that really is up for debate. Of course, it isn't a good thing for, for a human being to go through certain things, but it definitely did have an impact on his work. And without it, maybe his work wouldn't have been the way that it is. Thank you very much, Alex, for that insight. And um, as a bit of a personal tidbit here, um, I do understand what it is like uh, to struggle with alcoholism. I have had family members personally affected by this disease. So I do understand that alcoholism and addiction in any shape, form or fashion is a disease it, it it cripples you and as much as you know the person would like to see seek help sometimes the comfort of those drugs is just too much so mm -hmm. thank you very much for enlightening us so um at this time actually kaya i would like to swing back to you 
And I would um, actually like some more elaboration um, now that we have some more information on whether or not you think that Dr. Henderson um, was within his rights as um, an analyst and also, you know, a confidant to Jackson Pollock, uh, whether he was well within his rights to sell the drawings. From a legal standpoint, Dr. Henderson was 100% within his rights to sell the drawings. However, morally speaking, he should have considered the wishes of the patient and the patient's family. If they felt the drawings were too personal or private to be publicly exhibited, he would have destroyed them if that's how he felt. Well, I would argue that Dr. Henderson was not justified in signing the drawings. At the same time, even you know, as an art historian, I, I also do make art myself. And even if it's very personal, the art... Um, and I don't want it to be sold, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to destroy them because at the end of the day, I, I put my time into it. And, and you know, it's something that me, that that I find valuable, but that doesn't mean that I would want them to be publicly exhibited. Um, it's more of like a gift to somebody. And, and this is between, you know, you and me, right? And uh, whether or not you, you, you sell it, that really is more of a matter on on I should have told maybe Jackson Pollock should have said something but as a therapist I do believe that Henderson had a duty to maintain their confidentiality and, and privacy selling those drawings um, in my opinion violates the trust you know, that can be seen as a breach of professional ethics the same way when you go to therapy or, or you speak with a lawyer right Kai you would understand as a lawyer that there are certain things that are supposed to be met you know state uh, stay confidential in between you and your client thank you thank you very much Alex that is an excellent point bringing up the issue of confidentiality and maintaining the trust between therapist and patient. Because at the end of the day, who are we if not people without trust? Because, you know, there had to have been trust between Jackson Pollock and Lee Krasner in order for them to be together. And there is trust between Jackson Pollock and Dr. Henderson because Pollock trusted Henderson enough mm -hmm. to go to him with those original 43 drawings. And those 43 drawings are what made him the person that he is today. And who would we be if not for this man? However, uh, one uh, other question I have for you, I'm sorry. If the drawings were sold, shouldn't the buyer have the right to exhibit them as they please? And Flavi, that is a great question. Legally, if the buyer obtained the drawings through a lawful sale, then they would have then they have whatever right to sell them, to exhibit them. However, as Alex pointed out earlier, it's important to consider the artist's intentions and wishes of the close of the ones closest to them. In this case, the drawings were a part of Pollock's therapy, and it's possible that he would not have wanted them to be publicly exhibited. It's also important to consider the potential impact that exhibiting these drawings could have had on his family members and loved ones. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with Kaya that, you know, the ethical and emotional considerations surrounding the issue, they, they can't be ignored. I mean, as, as I said earlier, it's very important to consider the artist's intentions, right? And if this was something that was done in between the confidentiality of, a, you know, of an analyst and, and his customer, right, that 
he most likely didn't want them to be publicly exhibited. Um, you know, his family probably didn't want that as well either. Who knows that what type of impact it, could, it, it had on them? Um, I, I don't believe it was a positive one, you know, but I, I do think that as art historians around the world and whoever that really values art, um, that we do have a responsibility to understand the context of which all artwork is formed, all artwork is sold um, or given, uh, created, and especially and to respect the wishes of the artist and the loved ones in regards to that art. I think it's very important and, and it really shouldn't be over, overseen. Thank you very much, both of you guys. These are very valid arguments to both sides of this controversy. Now, before we go, I leave you both with one final question. And that is, do you think that there is a right or wrong answer to this question, to this debate, mm -hmm. to this debacle? Mm. Yes. Honestly, I don't think there's a clear right or wrong answer in this question. It's a complex issue that requires us to balance legal, ethical, and emotional considerations. Ultimately, it's up to each individual to decide whether where they stand on this issue and to act accordingly. Yeah, I mean, although I don't believe that the analyst, right, Henderson, should have, um, I do think it's important to approach the issue with an open mind and consider all the perspectives, you know, as as art historians, as lovers of art, as lawyers, um, I think we all have a responsibility to engage in thoughtful and respectful dialogue about these issues, really talk about them and and, and shed some light on on certain issues like these that other people might not be aware of. Thank well, thank you very much, Kaya and Alex, for enlightening us today. I learned so much about the revered artist Jackson Pollock, his works, the history behind them, the issue of his addiction, you know, the time period in America that shaped the man that was Jackson Pollock, how Dr. Henderson and Lee Krasner's influences, you know, helped become what is the image of Jackson Pollock today, his iconic works and how it made the audience feel most importantly. Yeah. And that wraps up for today. Thank you so much for joining us today, Kaya and Alex. I appreciate it. This, this concludes Exploring Art Podcast. Subscribe to Exploring Art Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Please join us and uh, please join us soon and remember to stay curious. Thank you for having us so much, Flavi. It was a pleasure. Thank you. It was a true pleasure, Flavi. All righty. You guys have a good day.